Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I want to talk really quickly tonight, and then I want to just spend some time praying for some people and um, opening up this altar um, for people just to come and actually experience the goodness of God. And, um, you know, in, uh, in the engineering world, um, I'm an engineer by trade, if you didn't know that. Um, moved out here from Texas to San Diego to get a PhD in structural engineering. And a big factor in um, structural engineering, especially with concrete, when you're engineering concrete, is something called creep. C-R-E-E-P, creep. And what it means is when you build a concrete column and you put a bunch of weight on it, it will actually very, very, very slowly shrink. So if you have a 10-foot column, and it may be like an eighth of an inch every two years, but that column will slowly, slowly, slowly get crushed. We talk about it in business too. We talk about kind of the creep factor. And, you know, let's say you're an employer and you just kind of notice all your employees are been a little bit late lately. And so you have a big meeting. You say, okay, guys, listen, at this company, you know, we've got a core value of being punctual. And so then, you know, the next week, everybody's like, okay, yeah, come on, guys, we're going to be on time. And everybody's on time for about three, four weeks. And then that's, that's called creep. And um, I just as the pastor of this house, feel like we have experienced as a church family a little bit of creep into, or maybe maybe I'll say away from one of just the most foundational principles of the Christian faith, which is that God loves you not because of what you do. And so I wanna just talk about the scandal of grace tonight, how cosmically insane the message of Christianity is. And when you understand just how nuts it actually is, it will level you and you will give all of yourself to it because you can't, you can't not. I know that's a double negative, okay? English majors, chill out. But it's true. It, it, will, it will arrest you. It will grab you if you really understand just how scandalous the message of Christianity is. And so we're gonna, I have no points. We're, we're gonna let the word of God speak tonight. And I'm gonna put a verse, a couple verses up on the screen. And I'm gonna do something actually that, um, I actually didn't think about it till just right now, but I, I don't really normally do this, but I actually want us to all stand up and I wanna read this together just in reverence of the word of God. This is Romans 3, 23 verse, uh, verses, this is Romans chapter three, verses 23 through 25. Do we have it up there? Cool. I want us to all actually read this out loud together. You guys ready? Here we go. Romans three, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. How powerful is that? You can grab a seat, but that right there, that is the entire Christian message crammed into 
it's actually just one big run-on sentence. I don't know if you've ever read the Apostle Paul, but like every sentence is like a whole chapter long and it's just like 35 commas. I don't know, I'm like in Greek, did you guys not use periods? What's the deal? But this verse is everything. I would argue that this is the most important three verses in the New Testament because it summarizes the entire Christian message and communicates just how wild it is. So all I wanna do is I wanna just go through these, some of the key words in this verse and I just wanna let, I just wanna have the worship team back up. I just wanna spend some time basking in the power of this verse. So I'm just gonna march through a few words. The first one is the word all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I wanna spend a little bit of time here I wanna really labor on this word all because it's so important. And so Bible scholars, actually, you'd probably be surprised to know that this word all is translated all. Next point. Really, it's all. All have sinned, all. Pastor Jurgen Matesius has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pastor Leanne Matesius has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Pope, I don't even know his name, Francis or Benedict or something. He has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as hard and in, in unimaginable as it may seem to you, even Pastor Katie Yeager has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, she actually didn't commit her first sin until she met me, so I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not true. All means all. Every single person has sinned, and I wanna look at that word sinned. You know, in our modern culture, the word sin, almost like, it's like people kind of like snicker at it, you know? It's like, I saw like a bumper sticker once that said something like, the only way to get rid of temptation is to give into it or something, and it's just sort of like, haha, you know, it's like, people think of like the little red devil with the pitchfork on your shoulder kind of thing, and, and you know, sin is just kind of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, and that's not what it is at all. The biblical definition of sin is just making something more ultimate than God. That's it. And that can be a great thing. You can actually, your kids are a gift from heaven, a gift from God. But if you make them ultimate in your life, meaning if the value that you the way that you value yourself, the way that you measure your own value as a human being, your own worth is in the performance of your kids, how healthy your kids are, how successful your kids are, then you have made your kids an ultimate thing and you have placed them above God. And the Bible says that is sinful. It could be your career. And listen, at our church, we are all about you bossing the marketplace. Go be a boss babe, a boss bro, whatever. We are all about it. But if your value as a human being is derived from your career, and if your career was to be taken away, you would be nothing, all of your self-worth would completely evaporate in an instant, then you have made your career an ultimate thing. The focus of your worship and the Bible says that is sinful. The very, and I love it. It's so funny to me that there's 10 commandments. We could have just had the one commandment because nobody can even get past commandment one. Nobody. And that's that you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, we all fail. It just be called the, the one commandment. It could have saved some space on the tablets. Don't need 10. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and you know, when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not saying, you know, you sinned and you fell short of the glory of God. It's saying that by sinning, what that actually means is that you've fallen short of the glory of God, that you, you're unable to, to get into his presence. And the way to think about it, I've, I've used this analogy before, but the Massachusetts Institute of Technology is the most prestigious um, science, technology, engineering, and math STEM school in the world. Um, the brightest minds in the world go to MIT. Now imagine if MIT, it's incredibly exclusive, incredibly hard to get into. Imagine if one day MIT was like, you know what? We are done being exclusive. This is 2023. We are about inclusion. We are going to open our admissions to anybody. Don't care about your grades. Don't care about your background. Don't care about anything. Come one, come all. Do you know what would happen to the value of an MIT education? It would plummet. It would be worth nothing. The only way that the value of the education of the institution is maintained is by the incredibly high standards it has for acceptance. It's a true story. I actually applied to get into MIT. MIT looked at Mike Yeager as a person. They looked at my academic record. They looked at my grades. They looked at my SAT score. They looked at all the things I was involved in, and they rejected me. They said, you are not good enough. It's okay. I'm over it. You don't need to pray for me. Don't feel bad for me. I ended up here instead of Massachusetts, so it all worked out fine. Thank you. But that is why, you know, people, they think of, you know, God's standards and the Ten Commandments, and it's like, gosh, why is God such a jerk? Why do you make it so hard? And it's, it's not that God made it so hard, it's that God is infinitely valuable. He is the highest thing in the universe. Like, there is nothing above him. And so if God were to just say, hey, you know what? Even though you, you, you broke my laws, you have chosen not to worship me, to do your own thing, made, made other things more ultimate than me, it's okay, just come one, come all. Then the value of God himself begins to plummet. God is, it is impossible for God to devalue himself. So we, when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. We don't get it. You, just like me, get rejected from MIT because your academic record, but in this, in this case, it's not your academic record, it's your moral record. It's because when we look at the standards, the 10 commandments, we have not kept them. None of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it says in verse 24, being justified freely. Being justified freely. And the word justified means that you know, again, imagine you were, you know, trying to, to, to get to God and you stumbled and you fell and you didn't make it. For God to forgive you, he would say, hey, it's okay that you didn't make it. Don't worry about it. And then walk away. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is actually a financial term. It means that you owed a debt and someone paid that debt on your behalf. So if you owe a debt, you're in the negative. If someone pays that debt, you're no longer negative, you're at zero. But who knows that God doesn't want you to live a life of zero? And that's what the word justified means. The difference between forgiveness and justification, forgiveness again is you're stretching for God and you just don't quite make it. And God says, hey, it's okay that you didn't make it, don't worry about it. Justification means he actually walks over, grabs your hand and pulls you to the finish line. 
That's what to be justified is. I heard that some, I heard a pastor say one time that um, forgiveness means you may go. It's a, you know, you come into a courtroom, you're guilty of a crime and the judge says, hey, you know what? I forgive you, you may go. But to be justified means you may come. You may come. That's what it means to be justified. But it doesn't just say justified, it says justified freely. And that's the part that I really want you guys to, to grab onto tonight. It's free. Gratis, okay? In case it's lost in translation. Free. It cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. It is not, a, you know, it's not a continuum where you can get a little bit of justification or if you're a better person, you get a little bit more. It is a free gift from God, justified freely by his grace. Actually, I wanna talk about freely a little bit more. There's, I think I even mentioned it last Sunday, but um, to me, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible is when Jesus is on the cross and the Bible says that he was crucified in between two thieves. There was a thief on his right and a, a, right and a thief on his left. And you, you, know, you need to understand, we kind of think of it as like thief, like, not that bad. We've all probably, you know, I've, probably, I've stolen a bag of Skittles before, you know. So, but you need to understand, this guy was being crucified, capital punishment. And that means that it was way more than just like stealing a loaf of bread at the market. It means that he probably brutally maimed somebody, maybe even murdered somebody while he was, it was like armed robbery, assault. Like this is a violent, violent criminal who's being killed because the Romans have said, you are such a danger to society, we can't allow you to live anymore. Okay, not a good dude, bad, bad guy. And he's there on the cross being crucified. And he says to Jesus, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And to me that is so profound because this guy is so bad. And it wasn't like, you know, Jesus was like, all right, let me use my magic to nails out, get you down. All right, go do a bunch of good stuff. You know, go start a connect group, join the ushers team, make your way up to the head usher. When you pass those communion cups out, you're like, be the best usher there is. You know, then maybe, then maybe you can enter into my kingdom. You'll be with me in paradise. The guy had no, no time. No, he didn't do any, He didn't even get a chance to say sorry to the people that he hurt. Like how scandalous is that? Imagine if you, like, you know, at a lot of executions, they have the family come in to be able to see it that in some weird way, it's supposed to give them some sense of peace or something. I think it's pretty crazy. Imagine you're the mom of the man that this thief beat to death while he was stealing his stuff and you're watching this man die, and then you hear Jesus say, truly I tell you, you'll be with me today in paradise. Can you imagine this mom being like, yeah, right, are you kidding me? No way. This message is insane. It would be like, let's say that you did something real bad, and you know you did it, you're guilty. And you go in to the judge and you know, you don't even have an attorney because you're like, there's no point. I know I did this. Just judge, be merciful, you know, go, go easy on me. 
And you get to the sentencing and it's like, all right, lay it on me, I'm ready. And the judge says, you know what? I forgive you. And so you're like, praise God. This is amazing. But then he says, not only do I forgive you, I'm gonna bestow upon you the Congressional Medal of Honor. You'd be like, uh, (laughs) sir, I, I, I haven't even served in the armed forces, let alone done anything to deserve the highest award for bravery in the face of danger in our military. So no, no, I'm gonna give you the congression. That's what the message of Christianity is, that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. God forgives us and then says, not only do I forgive you, I'm gonna promote you to the highest position in the universe, a son or a daughter of the most high God. The signs and wonders that you saw me do while I was on this earth, you're gonna do even greater things. I'm gonna give you authority to cast demons out. When you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. That is crazy. It's crazy, but it's true. Being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is the mechanism that justifies us. And to, to redemption means to redeem. Redeem means to buy back. God actually bought you back, purchased you from the enemy, actually bought you back through Christ Jesus. And that part, a lot of people have a lot of problems with. It's one of the big um, sort of objections to Christianity is its exclusivity. You know, all roads lead to Rome. You know, people have the, the analogy of the, uh, the elephant, the three blind men, if you've ever heard that, where, oh, you know, like all, all, all the religions of the world are just like, just like um, an elephant where three blind men are, they come up to the elephant and, and somebody says, hey, what, what is an elephant like? And one of them has a hold of the trunk and he says, oh, you know, elephants are like, they're kind of like snakes. They're like real long, bendy, flexible things. And another blind man says, oh, no, 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 you're way off, bro. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's actually at the leg of the elephant. He's like, elephants are like these giant, like tree trunks, big, you know, solid. And then the third blind man's like, you guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Y'all are crazy. He's at the side of the elephant. And he's like, an elephant is like a big, giant, just wall. And so the way that the argument goes is, you know, they're all right and they're all wrong. All of us, we see God in part, but we don't see the whole picture. The problem with that is the only way that you could know that is if you actually see the entire elephant. And it's actually the most pretentious, arrogant thing. Because what you're saying is, I see the whole picture. I see that there is no absolute truth but that's an absolute truth. You're claiming to have something that you say doesn't exist. I see the whole picture. I see that really it's just, it's just a small part. You know, you each see in part, you know, you know, Muhammad was a prophet, Jesus was a prophet. You guys are all, something that people have a huge problem with is the exclusivity of Christianity. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That one verse means you can't say, that he was just a great teacher, great prophet, great moral man. No, he, if, if, he is not, if that's not true, then he's a liar. And makes him, that makes him not a great man. Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And it's what we read in this verse, that we were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. And that part's really important, and I'm almost done. By his blood. You know, anybody doing Bible in a year? Come on. I'm, I'm making my way through it. I'm thankful. Praise the Lord. We got out of Leviticus. Oh, man. Every year, February is rough, y'all. I'm going to be honest. I know it's the word of God. I hope he doesn't smite me for saying so, but just don't enjoy that chapter, that book. But what Leviticus does, it lays out all the rules of the, you know, of the, um, of the Hebrew nation and how they're supposed to conduct themselves. And it's pretty nuts. It's like, you know, if you beat up your neighbor, then you got to kill two pigeons and three goats. And it's like, you know, okay, sure. And if you, you know, beat up your neighbor and, and, you know, he, he loses an eye, well, then it's three pigeons and three goats. Okay. And if you beat up your neighbor and steal his stuff, but when you steal the goat, the goat runs back to the neighbor, then it's back to only two pigeons. So it's all good. But if you, you know, the, if you beat the goat on his way back, then you're back to three pigeons. And it's so weird. You think about it. It's all, it's, it's really gruesome. Like church before Jesus was gross. Imagine you showed up to church tonight and we just had this area where it's just animal guts everywhere. That's disgusting. Why would God do that? It's to show the Israelites, to show the people of God, the disgustingness of sin. That, that to be separated from God is unthinkable, it, disgusting, the, the idea of being separated from the God that made you. And that's why God had to set up the system. He's like, I need you guys to see every time you do something that, that separates you from me, it's gonna be gross. There's gonna be blood and there has to be blood. There has to be. And I, I had this realization the other day and I've read it 50 million times, but the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain brings an offering that wasn't accepted and, and I always just thought it was because he, you know, just maybe gave some, he, he was a, a farmer and he brought some, maybe just some moldy kale. I mean, no one likes moldy kale. No one likes fresh kale, let alone moldy kale. And he's just like, yeah, here God, you can have my moldy kale. But then, you know, it says that Abel brings his best, his firstborn. I thought it was about the quality of the offering, but I think it's actually because one offering had blood in it and one didn't. Cain understood, I'm sorry, Abel understood the reverence of the shedding of blood, that it's only through the shedding of blood that sin can be forgiven. And that's why Jesus had to die on a cross. He was the lamb, the lamb that was slain, that is a the big word, and we all stuttered on it. We read it. Every single one of you guys all pronounced it different. Propitiation is the big theological word, and it's a big fancy word. And all it means is just a it's a, it's an atoning gift. It's a it's an exchange. And instead of you, instead of me having to pay what we actually deserve, which is our life, and, you know we're going to be the the blood and guts on the altar. Jesus did that for us by His blood. And lastly whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. It only matters if you choose to believe it.
I thought, imagine if somebody came to you and was like, you know, say Jim O'Connor comes to you and says, you know what? I'm a wealth manager. You're being crushed by consumer credit card debt. I can't watch it anymore. It disgusts me. I'm going to pay all of your credit card debt. Right, Jim? You told me that. You're going to, for everybody, right? That's awesome. Jim is a financial propitiation. Imagine Jim says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pay all your credit card debt. And you say, awesome. And then you go about your day. You're going to have to actually accept that gift. You're going to have to give Jim your routing number and your account number. There's steps you have to take to accept that gift. The Bible says that, that, that the message of Jesus breaks the chains of the oppressed. But just because the chains are broken doesn't mean that you've actually cast them off. And I think there's a bunch of us that walk around under the weight of broken chains. It's like you're in a prison with no doors, no guards. And you just, you know, go to the yard and do your bench press. You can be all prison swole. Then you just walk back to your cell, sit there and read a little bit, and then go back to, you know, the gym again because there's nothing else to do. And there's no guards, no doors. You've been set free but you keep yourself in a prison. And tonight, I want us to actually remove the chains that have been broken for you. Why don't we hop to our feet? You know, I spent um, so much of my, the beginning of my um, walk with God in perpetual discouragement. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Can I, is that all right? You're gonna laugh at how ridiculous I used to be. You know, when I first got saved, I got, um, I had a few buddies and we were all just like so zealous. Like we were just like, you know, I mean, I was really, I was amazed that God would save a wretch like me. I mean, I was all about it. And I'm like, yes, okay, I'm gonna live my life for God. It's gonna be great. So I had these two roommates in college and they'd gotten saved. And so we were like, come on guys, we gotta do this thing for real. We're gonna be accountability partners. We're gonna, we're gonna live right. And so then we'd do this thing and it's so ridiculous. We're, you know, we were like young 22 year old guys, hormones going crazy, all had girlfriends. And it was like, we're gonna, we're gonna be pure. And if any one of us messes up every week in our accountability meeting, you gotta confess it. And then we're gonna shoot you in the neck with an airsoft gun for every time you messed up. No kidding, I really used to do that. And so you'd show up to the thing and you'd be like, guys, I screwed up twice this week. You know what airsoft gun is like this little pellet thing and literally just like boom, 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 boom. And it didn't work. Next week I was, you know, three, whatever. I'll deal with it. And I just was perpetually discouraged. It was like I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to live a life that honored God. I wanted to not sin. But then it just was like the more I tried, the worse it was. And this went on for years. And then just became so discouraged. I mean, just to the point of like, this is stupid. Like, why even try? And it was just this hamster wheel of, you know, and I, I used to feel, like, I used to think, like, you wake up in the morning neutral, and then it's like, you know, you're at, you know, you're kind of at baseline. And then you can make choices that please God and honor God, or you can make choices that, and so, you know, it'd be like, I'm, I'm gonna do good today. I'm gonna get up. I read my Bible. And it's like, boom, got one in the good column. Yes. But then, you know, do something really bad. And then I would just be like, shoot, just wiped it all out. Today sucks. Today doesn't count. Start over again tomorrow. And it just was like that every day of just, and it was exhausting till the point I finally just gave up. 
You know, it's interesting. In all, Jesus always talks about sort of the the paradox of of our faith that up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. He says, if you want to be exalted, meaning if you want people to to lift you up and say, man, how amazing is Alex Cervantes? What a, the way you do that is you actually humble yourself, which seems backwards. If you want to, if you want people to serve you, if you want to to be a master that people will honor and serve. You have to serve others. That makes no sense. Up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first. So if everything is opposite in the kingdom, what is the opposite of victory? It's not defeat. It's not defeat. It's surrender. To be defeated means you tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and fell short. But to surrender means I have no hope of winning. I'm just going to give up. And so if you want to be victorious, again, up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. If you want to be victorious, the only way is to surrender. Now, how interesting is it when we teach our kids to pray, we teach them to do this, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say this. It doesn't say, okay, you know, Jesus then clasped his hands. It doesn't say that. This, as a, the universal symbol for prayer, developed in the days of the early church. And the reason was, on the battlefield today, the universal sign of surrender is you wave a white flag, right? Everybody's heard that. Back in those days, you would actually hold your hands up like this. And you would say, shackle me, I'm your slave, I'm your slave, I give up, I give up. So when you pray like this, it's actually a sign of surrender. It's you saying, God, I have, I have no chance. I cannot do it on my own but that is the path to victory. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna open this altar up and um, the worship team is gonna come and and, um, just lead us in in some music and and I wanna just kind of pray for some people. But what I wanna do is um, if you're in here tonight and feel like you've gotten stuck in that rat race of performance, of I gotta please God. Um, even if it's, I've gotta please people. I've gotta please leaders. I've gotta please my connect group leader, my pastor, my, and you're just exhausted and over it. I believe God's gonna actually set you free from that tonight. So if that's you, I actually want you to come to the front. I'm gonna pray for you. We're gonna break that off of you. The worship team's gonna sing. So if that's you, go ahead and make your way to the front. I'm gonna pray for you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Pack it in, pack it in. Move it over here to the middle. Move it over the middle. Make some room. All right. I'm going to just pray for you guys. And then um, I want to, when I say amen, the team's going to just sing. um, And they're going to sing that. Hallelujah. He's brought me back to life. And it is death to just try and try and try and come up short. So I'm going to pray for you, and then um, we're going to just sing that song together as a church family. And even if you're not up here, but know that's you, that's all good. But why don't we just bow our heads, and let's just allow the Holy Spirit to remind us. And I just believe tonight that there's Christians in here that have been walking with God for decades and decades. But there's, it's always good to just have a little reset moment, to just be reminded that, oh yeah, 
I can't earn God's love. I can't earn his favor. I can't earn his blessing. So God, right now, we pray as brothers and sisters, as your children, as your, as a church family, God, that you would remind us right now that every single one of us have fallen short, that we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. But God, that we have been justified freely through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so right now we speak to the lie of the enemy, every, um, every devil that would seek to, seek, seek to whisper in our ear that you're not good enough, that you've been disqualified, that God can't use you because of the things you've done or the things you haven't done. We cancel that right now. We declare that that is a lie from the pit of hell, that the Bible says that we can approach the throne room of God with grace and confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus, right now we take a minute and we honor you. We thank you for living the life that we could not live, for living the life we could not live, dying on a cross so that we wouldn't have to die, dying a terrible death that we deserve, God, and now we can walk in the fullness of life, God, not just forgiven, but justified, called to a mission, called to a city, called to a generation, called to an assignment to set the captives free. God, your word says that signs and wonders would follow those who believe, and so as a church family, we declare right now that we believe, we believe this message, we believe that we we have been set free by the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we believe that we've been brought back to life in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's sing. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.